and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io It is my pleasure to welcome Dylan Hansen once again. Thank you for coming on the show, Dylan. We have had a couple of recordings before about um, well-being and work-life awareness, as we talked about. If uh, you haven't heard the episode with Dylan, go ahead and check it out. But today we have a different topic. Before we get into that, I would like all of our listeners to learn a little more about you. You are Senior Director of Engineering Enablement and Engagement at Salesforce. And uh, we have heard a bit about you, but uh, please share your passions and uh, whatever you find uh, we should know about you. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on on the podcast again. I'm really honored to be here. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, I work at Salesforce. I've been with Salesforce and the technology organization there for just over nine years. I passed my nine-year anniversary of this February, so it's been quite the ride. Congrats. I have, a, I have a pretty unique role, engineering enablement and engagement. It covers three uh, pillars uh, within the technology organization, one of them being um, technical learning and enablement programs for engineers, um, the second being open source, whether that's our internal strategy for open source or external strategy for open source, and the third is uh, engineering branding and content. So how do we build an engineering brand for us to showcase all the amazing work we do at Salesforce and get that out into the community. So uh, lots of fun stuff. Prior to that, I ran uh, engineering for the education cloud at Salesforce for a number of years, building software for education institutions who can use Salesforce um, to manage their student data. Outside of work, I'm a dad. I have two kids, um, uh, six and four now. They're growing very, very quickly. As you mentioned, I'm also into fitness and well-being, um, and I've, I've created quite a routine for myself to make sure that I'm keeping healthy, but also, you know, working really hard in this role. And uh, my big thing right now is uh, I bought a house in Vancouver this year. Uh, I'm moving in next month um, and moving with uh, two kids that are six and four is a project on its own and trying to make that go off without a hitch is is kind of top of mind right now. So lots of changes happening in the Hanson household and it's a ton of fun. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And also thank you for making the time to join me for this conversation. And without further ado, let's get into today's topic. This is a special episode. Every year I have a guest who will talk to me about the research that we do at Coding Sense. It is very important for us to to educate ourselves and to educate the, the greater IT sector. And... Um, This year, we created the State of Engineering Management 2022 research where a few hundred uh, leaders from the industry joined us and uh, talked to us about um, what they do and how they learn and um, how they view themselves. So it's quite an interesting uh, report. If you are a listener or watcher and have not seen this report, the link is in the description. So click the link and um, you can download the report and with that subscribe to the Level Up Engineering newsletter, which will enable you to get every uh, new episode two weeks prior to them being released to the rest of the world. 
So without further ado, the report has five main parts. There is leadership self-improvement. There is hiring and retention. There is engineering brand and diversity. There is remote work and there is people management. So these are areas that probably every manager or aspiring leader should uh, keep in mind. And let's begin with the first part. We asked people about the soft skills in leadership, what they think are important. Uh, if you are following along, this is on page seven. I have the report printed out. I am sorry for the trees, but I am a very offline person in this sense. So um, we've found some interesting results, but really I would like to ask for, for your opinion. What area do you work on yourself? Um, did you agree with the results? Um, how did you view this part? Sure, yeah. Um, so seeing communication um, as basically the, the highest scoring answer, I, I think is a reflection of the past, particularly the past few years as the industry has changed and we've had to go hybrid or remote or balance in between, that understanding of the right communication style to work with your team and work with your employees is super important, right? So personally, I was really pleased to see that. I don't think it was a surprise. Um, a couple of things that I, I kind of thought would score a little bit higher in my perspective, one was time management. I think that that's such an important role for an engineering leader or any leader in an organization because you, your demands are so high of your time and building your own system for time management, one helps you do your job better. And then two, it also sets a really strong example for your team and your peers to also practice great time management, right? I have a saying that I tell a lot of people at, at Salesforce that I learned from a, a colleague many, many years ago that says, own your calendar or your calendar owns you. Right. Oh, wow. so, so really uh, make sure that you're spending time looking ahead at your calendar and not just looking day to day, but look week to week. What's coming up in the next few weeks? Where can you maybe prioritize some of your meetings or maybe even like bunch up some of your meetings so that you give yourself as a leader a little bit of free time? Block off time for breaks, block off time for lunch, block off time for heads down time. So um, I'm a big fan of, of time management. I think personally, it's made me really successful in making sure that I can support my team and I can also get some heads down work done. And that was one that I, I expected to see scored a little bit higher. The other one that I think scored a little lower too, and again, going back to the next few years is adaptability, right? And maybe that's something that's a little bit more um, ingrained in us in engineering that you have to be more adaptable in, in a role like this. But being really deliberate and conscious of adaptability, I think, is an important skill for any engineering leader to have, particularly with the craziness we've gone through in the past three years or so. So, um, I, you know, I would encourage folks to be flexible, be adaptable, right? Find that right balance of structure and routine, but flexibility and make sure that you're, you're practicing both of those in harmony. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's, I think it's very important to, to point out that you have to prepare for the future as much as you can, but like who would have known in 2019, you know, in, in the summer, nobody was planning for a disruption of our entire understanding of how life is. So make sure that you put some time away for yourself to, to recharge. I'm telling that to myself too, because just this week I was doing onboarding during my lunch break, so I can. I can definitely relate. I am, I am not trying to preach something that I, that I don't practice. 
Thank you very much. Moving on to page nine, we talked about the top knowledge sharing and learning methods, and we talked about book recommendations. But before we get to book recommendations, let's talk about what is some of your favorite methods? How, how did you find the results in the report? Sure. So personally, I'm a big fan of learning by listening to podcasts. Um, so this podcast is one that I spend a lot of time listening to as well as others. Um, and that just naturally works for me. I can um, listen to a podcast on my commute. I can listen to a podcast when I'm in the gym. I can listen to a podcast, you know, just when I'm having a bit of downtime, right? And so it's, it's quite flexible for me. And that works well for my learning style, which leads me to, I think the most important point is that there really is no one best learning style out there, right? You need to really have a, uh, understand the concept of blended learning. You can create op learning opportunities to meet engineers or technical staff where they're at uh, on their uh, best approach to learning. So for example, some folks might just want to read books and that's how they learn, right? So do you provide a budget for your engineers to purchase books and learn and come back and, and share what they learned? Other folks like doing maybe asynchronous learning. They like using an online platform like Pluralsight, for example, to learn and, and go through courses and get their hands dirty, right? Some people like sitting in a room with an instructor, whether that is a virtual room or a physical room and, and learning by seeing someone talk through a concept and then collaborating with other learners, right? Again, you don't really have, there isn't really one great answer there, but I think that, you know, if you're providing learning opportunities for your team, you have to try to cast a bit of a wider net depending on the size of your team, or just talk to the individuals on, te on the team and understand what their learning style is, right? Now, I'll counter that a little bit because sometimes people might not know, right? Some people might say, I just like reading books, but they don't spend time, say, in a, in a class with an instructor. So you, so that might be an opportunity to change, right, and learn a little bit differently by giving them an opportunity to do that and then ask them about how that went, right? Um, the other thing I think with around knowledge sharing that that um, I've seen grow through the pandemic and throw, grow in this hybrid model is learning is one thing and absorbing learning, but then writing down and writing what you learned not only helps you absorb the content, but it also creates an opportunity for others to learn from that as well, right? And kind of a train the trainer methodology, right? So having an opportunity not only to learn something myself, but then writing down what are the top five, th 10 things I took away from either this book or from this podcast, and then sharing that out to your team or to the people that you work with is a great way to spread the knowledge across your organization. Oh yeah, most definitely. I don't... I... I wish I could remember, but I think someone said it on the show that uh, when they really want to get into a topic, they will apply to speak about that topic and then that will force them to really dive deep and then structure what they have learned, which I think is kind of a similar method, except writing is also great if you are a little more shy. With that, I want to say that we have a book club here for the management and um, we started out by not actually reading the same book uh, because one of our great benefits at Coding Sense is that we have a really good community and reading books is, you know, like not a social activity usually. So I thought, why don't we all read different books and we, we share what we have learned in the, in the book club setup. Now we have iterated that and now we are all reading the same book, but I think how you put it is, is really nice. It's a blended learning and you should try out new things just to see that, you know, even if you didn't like teachers in high school, maybe now that you have a different 
life experiences, you are going to be more in tune with what teachers have to tell you. Awesomeness. Moving on. Uh, book recommendations. I've, this was not planned on my end to, to bring it in like this, but yeah, book recommendations. Um, the number one book was uh, Camille Fournier's The Manager's Path. I am sure our listeners are familiar with this because Camille was on the show twice before and her book has been mentioned all over the place. It's, I, I think it's really well loved. What's your favorite book? Well, first, I will give a huge plus one to The Manager's Path. It's such an incredible book, not only because I think it's a great read, it's, it's a, and it's not a long read, like it's very, very dense, but also great content. It's also a book that you can go back to and that folks of all levels can pick up, right? So like I've recommended it to engineers on the team who may or may not be interested in growing into the management role, but there's good concepts around moving into the tech lead role and what are the expectations there and ways that you can approach that, right? So I think it's a really adaptable book and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so well renowned in our industry, right? The two books that I love and I recommend to people too are The Phoenix Project and The Unicorn Project by Gene Kim. Um, I think it's so rare that when I'm reading that I get an opportunity to read fiction, right? I generally go to nonfiction for, as a learning opportunity I generally don't go to reading for like enjoyment or stories. I tend to do movies and TV shows for that. So reading the Phoenix, the Phoenix Project, sorry, and hearing this, you know, the story about this chaotic IT department in this in this manufacturing organization and how they've been able to use DevOps practices to turn that around. One, it's it's just a fun story to read, and you you feel really connected to the characters. And two, there's a ton of great stuff there that you can pull back to, whether it is an IT team or or a software engineering team too, right? So I really highly recommend both of those books. They're great. Um, and they're just a little bit different than, you know, your standard nonfiction book that kind of tells it like it is. Right. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, I will need to check them out. There is also a couple other books that I would like to mention. We have graded our, our survey uh, participants and where the participant is uh, content with the software engineering performance at their company, there we call them top performers. And only the top performers mentioned Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I think is a, a really useful book and it's, it's, a, it's an evergreen one. So I think that that is worth mentioning and um, we just simply couldn't resist all the other great books that were that were brought to us by by a few participants just Kim Scott's Radical Candor and um, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and I think that goes back to your point about time management and being aware of your calendar everything is connected so moving on we are getting into the next part of the survey, which is hiring engineering leaders. It's, uh, it's interesting because usually, you know, for developers, it's always the referral that is most used for, for finding new, uh, software developing uh, colleagues, but for managers, professional connections was the most chosen answer. How do you? hire engineering leaders? Yeah, this is, this is a really tricky one. And I think it goes back to how much trust you want to put in someone as part of the interview and hiring process, right? Because 
Hiring a leader, whether they are a frontline manager, a leader of leaders, they're immediately a multiplier, right? And so you need to really be deliberate in your hiring practice for that, right? And, and so when I, think about, when I think about doing interviewing and hiring, particularly at a company at the size of Salesforce's or other large companies, there's a lot of like volume hiring for engineers because you're hiring, you know, hundreds, if not thousands in a quarter, right? Whereas engineering leaders, you need to be a little, uh, you need to spend a little bit more time with those, right? So one of the strategies that I, I recommend people employ is you really have to know ahead of time, ahead of time, if you're going to be bringing in a leader into your organization, meaning if you can, it's not like a headcount pops up next week and you say, great, I've got to hire a manager in two weeks. You want to be forecasting when you might need to bring in a leader to either, you know, provide more leadership support if your engineering team is growing and, you know, maybe you've got three engineering leaders that have, say, 15 direct reports and you're like, I need a fourth so we can spread it out. Well, you as a, as a leader of those leaders should have forecasting to understand, hey, my team is growing and I need to bring a leader in and I want to start the interview process or the recruitment process mm-hmm. very early on so that I can be a little bit more thorough with that, right? Because those engineering leaders that you bring in are going to be cover quite a bit more surface area than say a developer will, right? So really being proactive, particularly with your recruitment team or your recruiting team, if you have one on that and to kind of go back to this professional connections, right? Like it's kind of who, you know, and I love the concept of you're always recruiting, right? Even if you're not hiring, you're always recruiting. And that's why I think things like your engineering brand, telling the story about what you do, making those connections, you know, going to conferences, going to events, being involved in the community is really important because, you know, you might start making connections with engineering leaders or technical leaders, and you may not want to hire them or have an open headcount for them right away, but you also have them in your back pocket. So when that bubbles up, you've already made a connection with them. Mm-hmm. So in, in your opinion, there is like, I don't mean to get too deep into your tactics, but I am wondering if you have like a, a short list of people that you would personally reach out to if you were to, to hire someone new on your team. I have a network of people that I would keep in mind for sure. And part of that network is actually folks within your organization right now. Mm-hmm. Again, for a larger organization, you, you can afford that a little bit more, and particularly for companies, you know, like a company like Salesforce, we do have a lot of flexibility for whether it's engineers, developers, or, or leaders to kind of move fluidly throughout the organization. Meaning like we'd rather have someone go work on a separate team within our company versus go to another organization, right? And so For sure. as part of that, it's really important to kind of build your network internally in your organization as well, right? So I'm also a big fan as a leader of making sure that you kind of have your like next in line kind of ready to go, right? Meaning if you, one, have a new leader position opening up within your organization, or two, if you yourself are potentially going to be considering taking on another role within the organization, who is that person within your team that you're kind of supporting to kind of be able to step into a role either in your team or your role itself, right? And what are you doing to kind of give them opportunities throughout the day-to-day to delegate to them and give them opportunities to maybe step in so that when that time comes, it's actually an easier conversation than having to kind of start from from basically from, from no candidates whatsoever. Right. Yeah. So it's like you have the, the next in succession kind of. This totally. Is, totally. This is awesome. Thank you for that. I, um, I will think about that for sure. So moving on a little bit about motivating engineering leaders, are participants 
also said that uh, challenging and engaging work is like one of the most important things to to keep engineering managers or leaders motivated. What is your opinion about this? Yes, 100%. I agree with that. And I, I love how both interesting and challenging work and self-management are the two top scoring um, items there. Um, I'll be honest, there are aspects of management and leadership that aren't interesting and challenging, right? like approving expense reports and you know, some, oh, wow. of the, you know, some of that kind of stuff that you just have to do it in the job, right? And managing your budget and all that kind of fun stuff, but it's part of the role, right? So I think to be able to offset that, making sure that you're advertising to leaders or developers that the work that they're going to be doing, the products that they're supporting, the services that they're building are really interesting and solving real world challenges can kind of help combat that a little bit, right? So you kind of mm -hmm. say, yeah, you know, this Friday I've, I've, I've got some operations work that I need to do and I got some things I got to take care of on the financial side or approvals or whatever, compliance. But then also I might go into a, a product review on the product or maybe do, you know, a, a session with my team to kind of really talk about some of the challenges they're facing and how we can support our customers. So it kind of balances it out a little bit, right? I think that's actually quite tied with the second one, which is self-management independence too, right? Is not only do we want the work for our leaders to be interesting and challenging, but we also want to have a sense of autonomy, right? And again, this is really, really tricky because you want to be able to have alignment with your leaders to other leaders in the organization and then also drive alignment with the business itself. But good leaders are really going to thrive in a, in a situation where you kind of hand them a big, meaty challenge and say, here's your challenge for the next three, six months. Here's your team. Go and make it happen and come back to us at the three to six months and let us know how it's going and where we can kind of help, right? So mm -hmm. um, I think those are quite intertwined really well. The last one I'll comment on is, um, is team. I couldn't agree with this more. As a leader, if you've got a really great team of people that are committed to the work, folks that are excited about the work they're doing, that you feel that you can build a relationship with, that you can grow them and support them, it just makes everything so much more frictionless within your role, right? Because it comes becomes quite fluid, right? So, you know, the people on the team and the culture that you build within your organization is super important as well. So it was nice to see that one pretty high on the score as well. For sure, for sure. Do you have off the top of your head any kind of tips if someone is in a leadership role and perhaps feeling a bit unmotivated or not at their best? What would you tell them to try or to do? Yeah, yeah. I've been there. I've been there many times in my career, right? And I've had to personally find, kind of find the bright spots in a role, right? For example, you know, I've been in roles where our organization was going through significant change that, you know, our, our team wasn't a, a big part of or wasn't really interested in, right? And, you know, it, but it was a change that we needed to go through. And I found a lot of comfort in really getting to know the people on my team a little bit more and saying, hey, this is a tough thing. We're going to get through it. But I'm going to spend more time with my team to really get to know them as humans and people. And that's going to kind of fill my boots for a little bit as we go through and navigate this change together, right? So it's really about trying to kind of navigate the situation you're in and trying to kind of see the bright spots to make sure that that's, again, filling your bucket uh, day in and day out, right? I think the second piece too is um, at the end of the day, we're all building software to serve our customers, right? And to, and to enable the customers that are using our products or our services. So that's another area where you can really dive into to be like, wow, like 
how can I get some gratification in the fact that I'm building something that's being used and people need, right? And, and really finding a sense of accomplishment and pride in that, that you're building something that's going to be used by people out there, right? And it's not just going to kind of sit on the shelf, right? I love um, that. The one thing I will add to, though, like, you can't live in that space for too long. And you have to be really self-aware of it, right? If you're, if you're living in that space and you're still not feeling like you've got those vibes as a leader and you've tried a few things within your team and you've tried to make connections and it's, you know, you don't see kind of that light at the end of the tunnel, then maybe it's time for you to step back and reassess the situation and understand if maybe looking for a change or trying something new might be something that you want to do yourself. I could not agree more. Moving on, kind of touched on this topic already. I think you are, you are really great with this engineering brand. Um, all of the companies are trying to be very special and better than everyone else. And, you know, trying to get the, the best engineers possible. And we are all doing this, right? And there are just never enough engineers. What do you do to, to build the engineering brands that you have at Salesforce? Sure. Yeah. So. Um, there's a number of approaches that we take. Um, before I get into that, I, I will just kind of comment on the, on the stats here. And thirty-five uh, percent right. of people say they're not doing anything about this. I think that's a huge miss, particularly in such a competitive market as ours, right? So if you're not doing something, anything to build your engineering brand, you are behind. You're behind your competitors because yes, the networking and the connections is one thing, but you know, people read, people look at blogs, people, engineers want to, want to understand technical challenges that are being solved by organizations. And even if, like me personally, for example, if I look at another organization, the first thing I do is I say, great, what is their engineering presence? Do they have an engineering website? Do they have an engineering blog? Are they telling the stories about what's happening on the technical side of the organization? Or is it just all kind of sales and marketing, right? So I think it's really important to have that aspect as candidates are looking at your organization, whether or not they're trying to kind of find you like off the street per se, or even if they, you know, they have a connection and you're starting the interview process, folks are going to kind of look through that, right? Now, in terms of things that I think work really well, right? Like, again, writing blog posts was number one here, as well as participating in conferences and events. It's all kind of tied together around what that presence is. I think it's important for that presence to have some level of continuity and unity, right? So it doesn't seem too fragmented, meaning, you know, how does your engineering brand look compared to the rest of your organization, right? How does it look on your website versus your booth at a conference, right? So having some sense of unity there, I think really reflects well on potential candidates because they see, oh, this doesn't seem too fragmented. It doesn't seem like a one-off. It seems like they're being very del deliberate about their brand, right? The other piece, and this is a real challenge, I think, in a lot of organizations too, is how do you make sure that you're advocating and encouraging for engineers within your organization to take the time out of their sprint or out of their release cycle to share the story of their work, right? And to go back to our earlier talk about writing more, right? It's a great way for knowledge sharing, right? It's a great way to share knowledge, not only within people within your organization, it's also a great way for you to do storytelling and to tell that story externally. So other folks outside of your organization can benefit right that, from that as well, right? So I would almost tweak that writing blog posts data point a little bit to storytelling, right? It's so mm -hmm. key. It, it helps create a human connection around the technology that you're building. And that storytelling I think is really important for building your engineering brand. For sure. And it goes back to what you said about having a kind of a continuity, you know, because 
I think what's very important is that the brand shouldn't be something that is completely not what actually happens at the company. And um, I was in marketing once and I know that it's really easy to kind of create something that is all blown up and fluffy and not necessarily true. And I think the consistency makes it at least seem like that it's closer to the truth so that people don't need to, you know, study some line about how the engineering works at X company, but they can just tell you their experience. And that's going to be completely in line with what the company is communicating about themselves, which is, I think it's the best way to create the brand, to ask your software developers or to, to ask your colleagues in leadership and kind of write down what you already have and make it seem digestible and a good place to work for. Okay. I am moving on to the remote hybrid work part of the survey. We have been in the pandemic. We are not really back to how our normal lives were. So we asked our participants about the challenges that have emerged in this uh, new remote hybrid home office after pandemic kind of environments. Uh, what did you think about these results? Nothing really surprising here. I love the fact that communication issues scored high, but then also, as we saw earlier, that communication is so important for engineering leaders, right? So I saw, I think there's some really good synergy there. And it, again, makes it really important for engineering leaders to make sure that they're communicating well to their teams, right? Employee isolation is such a hard one. And I think we are in a tougher spot now than I would say within the first year of the pandemic, because when we all started to be isolated, we were still kind of running on, say, the, the interactions and engagements we would have had, say, from September 2019 to March 2020, right? And so we still had some gas in the tank. We didn't know, know how long this thing was going to last, right? And then we realized the thing was gonna, this was going to go on for quite a bit. And so concepts like virtual team building and gathering and virtual events started to pop up to kind of carry us through some of that. And in my experience, that was great for a while, but then folks really got burnt out of that. They're like, I don't want to do the virtual cooking class or happy hour anymore. Oh yeah. Even done with that. Right. And so I think we're in a toughest spot throughout the pandemic right now with this, because we are starting to open up a little bit more. We're starting to see offices reopen. We're starting to see some organizations be a little bit more, say, aggressive in trying to bring people in. But also we're, we're trying to kind of figure out what that happy medium is, right? Like what is that happy medium of being able to be hybrid and have people work from home, but then also come in to the office and be able to, you know, connect? And how are we intentional about that, right? I think the other piece too is, is quite frankly, like we need to understand the cost of that as well, right? I think a lot of organizations have, you know, kind of benefited from say travel and expense, not being something they've had to worry much about over the past few years. And there's all this pent up interest in, in global teams, particularly for many organizations that have distributed teams to all come together, right? And with inflation on the rise and with the cost of living going up all across the world, right? Like that's no longer cheap anymore. Flights are very, very expensive these days, right? So I think, I think we're still in a really tough spot. I think the toughest spot we've, we've probably been in so far with regards to isolation and team connection and that kind of thing. I think it goes back to really being intentional, intentional about planning for this. 
and advocating for your team to your leaders and to your business to say, hey, it's really important for us to be spending time together and be really authentic about it and, and realize, hey, like we haven't hit the end of this thing yet. We're seeing what the new world is going to look like, what hybrid is going to look like. And I still quite think how we probably have another year to figure out what that's going to look like, maybe longer, even as uh, countries reopen and case counts go down, right? So I'm fascinated to see how the next six to 12 months is going to be as we try to find some sort of normalization here. I am glad that you use the word fascinated rather than any other word. It is quite interesting if you look at it from a, a distance, kind of. It is also a little unnerving when you think about uh, how every day we have to figure out our new normal. And with that said, I just wanted to highlight that um, 62% of our respondents said that they work in hybrid now. And 30% said that they are fully remote, which I think there are a lot of companies that are trying hybrid and there are all kinds of different perspectives as to how to make that successful. Would you want to share maybe one or two tips about what you guys do at Salesforce to you guys and girls to create a better working environment in this, in this new scenario? Sure. Yeah. So about a year ago, we launched a program both within our technology organization and at Salesforce as a whole called Success From Anywhere, right? And it, it was a pretty bold statement, one for our customers, because, you know, Salesforce is one of the, you know, one of the biggest cloud providers out there, right, in terms of software, that people could really do their jobs from anywhere. Our customers could do their jobs from anywhere. They don't need to be in an office, right? They can be at home. They can be on the road. And and this is something we had talked about for a long time, moving away from servers in a, you know, a, a, a server room in an office to you don't have to worry about that anymore, right? So sales reps and folks can be out on the road using their mobile devices to get business done, right? Now, when we brought that into our technology organization, right, like there was a lot of questions about how that's going to work, right? Does that mean I can work from anywhere? Does that mean time zones don't matter? And so we've had to bring some strategies in to kind of make that a little bit more successful and successful for teams. So it's not kind of a total free-for-all, but providing guidance to a team, right? So for example, one of the things that we're really looking at right now is building teams around time zone or hiring around time zone, right? So that you might actually have a team, say, on the West Coast of North America, where you have engineers that are, say, based in Vancouver, where I'm based, you have folks in Seattle, and maybe you have folks in San Francisco. And they can be really effective because they have a ton of overlap to be able to kind of work together and for them to travel and see each other, it's a lot more cost effective, right? For them to be able to say fly up and down the coast, right? Now that doesn't always work, right? We're still kind of normalizing on what that actually could mean because we do have teams that are spread all across say North America, across the world, but it's a strategy that we're trying to employ, which is really interesting to see how that's going to kind of happen in the next year or so. The other thing that was really interesting for us is throughout the pandemic, we bought Slack, right? And so we now have Slack as part of our product portfolio. We use it all the time within our organization, as you could manage, as you can imagine, it, it basically runs our business at Salesforce here, right? And so it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because on one hand, Slack's great. It allows you to communicate asynchronously and it allows you to be effective at that, but but at the same time, it can be a lot and balancing Slack with meetings and how, how do I connect? And it, it can be kind of confusing. So one of the things that we try three or four times a year within our technology organization is, is we have a dedicated week called async week or asynchronous week. And this is a week where we basically encourage folks to 
to take meetings off their calendar for the whole week as much as they can, regular meetings, stand-ups, all that kind of stuff, and create some time for yourself to manage your work and do it asynchronously in Slack, right? So there isn't an expectation that you're going to be, you know, on a call at 9 a.m., right? You might have to do a stand-up in Slack, and some people might say they're going to post their updates between 9 and 10, right? It creates this different way of thinking about your behaviors within your organization. And it's a really fun experiment because, you know, as someone like me who's in a ton of meetings, I actually quite enjoy it as a way for me to say, how am I going to get my work done asynchronously and realize that I might not have to bug an engineer on my team if they have some heads down time. So we've tried a few of these. We're going to be doing our, I think it's our third or our fourth one later this month. Um, and we've written about it and I can share some, some of the blog posts in, in the show notes too, but it's pretty cool to see. So just doing things like that, experimenting, trying new things, I think is a really great opportunity to navigate this hybrid world. Right. Thank you. And I would like to highlight what you just said about trying things and software engineering is an iterative process when it's done well, I think. And I like not to forget that Perhaps our life is somewhat of an iterative process and, and we need to be able to, to try things like this out and see if it works for us. And thank you for sharing that with us. I'm, I hope that uh, maybe some of our listeners will try it out and share what they have found. But we need to be able to see, you know, like what works for our engineering community. And it might not be exactly what works for yours, but we can share ideas and um, make sure that everybody is getting uh, the best of, of what they can be getting. Going on to measuring performance, I think this is always a really hard topic, not just when it comes to software development, but it also when it comes to engineering managers and leaders, do you have metrics? How do you measure performance for your leaders? Um, what are your thoughts on, on this within the survey and outside the survey? This out of every result in this entire survey, this was the hardest one, right? And, and I thought the data was really interesting here because it's when I look at the uh, success criteria for engineering managers, there's on-time delivery and air quotes, working software. And then there's a bunch of stuff that scored really, really low. And so something like on-time delivery and I would say predictability and your ability to kind of meet your commitments as an engineering team, I think is, is super important. But working software, I think is just so vague, right? Like what does that actually mean to your customer, right? Is it customer validation? Is it that your all of your automated tests pass, right? So I, I agree that a lot of these concepts are, are can be quite vague and it's really hard to measure them, right? I also think as an engineering leader, your success is your team's success. And so there's a number of ways that you can kind of be thinking about that. But something that I think is really cool is we have a concept at Salesforce in our technology team that we have quite a big agile team that drives our agile practices within our organization. They have the concept of what's called a, an agile health score. So it's an aggregate score for every scrum team within our organization that talks about not only velocity, but it talks about things like results from employee feedback on how things are going within the team. It talks about like co-location in the team. So if you have a team that's a little bit more co-located, like I said, maybe all within one time zone, your score is going to be a little bit higher, right? I believe there's some aspects of customer feedback in there as well, right? So it is sometimes a little bit contentious, right? Because you're like, hey, you're putting a number and a score on a team, right? But we don't necessarily like, you know, rank the teams based on their agile health score, but it is a great way for a team to introspect for themselves to look at that score and understand, hey, 
Is our score going up or down, release over release, and why? And what are things we could be doing, not to improve the score, but just to realize how we can work better as a team and how we can be more successful, right? And ultimately, it's the engineering manager or the scrum lead for the team that's the one that's going to be driving that, right? So I'm a big proponent of, as an engineering leader, you are kind of the sum of your parts of your team. And if your team is successful and, and meeting its goals, then you're going to be successful in your goals as well. Right. It sounds like the agile health score consists of things that are all like vectors in like the general direction of how things should be and without tying performance to something so exact, it underlines that it's kind of a fuzzy kind of thing. Totally. Totally. And it's, I think that's super important because if you over index on like hard metrics and goals for an engineering leader, an engineering team like that, I think you're going to run into problems, right? Because engineering and software development is so dynamic and there's so many changes that get thrown at you, right? That you have to have a little bit of flexibility, right? And I kind of think about the conversation we had in our first episode that we did together around personal boundaries and really trying to kind of define those areas, but realize that they're going to flex, and when they flex, being aware of why they flex, right? So again, like you don't want to hold your team accountable by saying, hey, your score went from a four to a 3.4 next release. And because of that, there's going to be, you know, we're going to move people around or we're going to cut the team or something like that. But it's more ask the question why and monitoring that release over release and understanding if there was flexibility perhaps in that release. Like maybe you had someone on that team for release that was out sick and had to deal with a family member. So your velocity dropped, right? But you know that person's coming back the next release cycle, so then your your score will likely improve, right? So it kind of goes back to really being aware and having the data and the numbers, but not having them be the only thing to kind of drive that understanding of team performance and understanding how that's going to work. <laughs> you also mentioned uh, something that I found very interesting, that the, the teams can reflect based on the score that they have. If you care to share, do you have some kind of a process for, for this, for the teams in, in a sense of, you know, like a retrospective about your agile health score or, or anything like that, so that we can maybe learn how the, the system works? Sure. Yeah. It's just another data point that you would enroll in a, a general retrospective with the team. And again, it goes, it go, it's different team to team, right? But what I've observed a lot of teams will do is they will do a sprint retrospective every two weeks, right? To understand how things are going within that sprint. At Salesforce, we also operate in three major releases a year, right? So what also happens is after a major release, there's also a broader retrospective of how things went kind of with an aggregate of say 13 sprints together, right? So that's really an opportunity to look at that score and other more aggregate data, because if you look at it sprint to sprint, because people are going to be out, I think you're, you're going to get lost in the weeds there. You kind of have to sum it up release over release. So other organizations I've seen do it kind of like H1, H2, right? So the first half of the year, you kind of look at the how the team's performing and look at your scores and see if there's anything you want to change. And then you do it for the second half of the year as well. You can also do it by quarters, but I just wouldn't look at a, at a number like that, you know, every two weeks, it's just too volatile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And now on to one of my favorite topics, uh, people who listen to the podcast, uh, hear me talk about feedback all the time. I think it is fair to say it's one of my pet peeves. If you asked, my colleagues, they would probably also say that, but 
I just think it's so important. We asked uh, about the primary channels for, for giving feedback in the survey. And everybody said that one-on-one -on -one meetings are one of the best or most used channels. And then there is also formal performance reviews. What methods are you using and have you iterated somewhat in, in the past years? As you sure. said, you have quite the tech record at the, at the same place. Sure. Yeah. Um, so first I'd like to call out, you know, Laura Hogan's, uh, you know, was highlighted in the report here. I think she has a ton of great ideas around giving great feedback and she's someone that I follow on Twitter and I love seeing her content and looking at the stuff she puts out because I think she has some really great ideas around feedback. Me personally, 100%, I think, you, again, it's kind of like blended learning. You kind of have to find ways to do blended feedback, right? There are times where if you have feedback to give somebody, maybe it's just a quick Slack message. Hey, you were in this meeting. I observed this. This is how I would expect you to behave. What are your thoughts, right? Or my expectations around that. What are your thoughts, right? And that's kind of more just like maybe nudging the ship a little bit, right? Like you wouldn't want to go in and send Slack messages to them and say like, hey, that meeting went awful, right? You know, just like nudge the ship a little bit, right? When you want to have that feedback more on an aggregate level and maybe do it, say, less frequently, I think that's where maybe like doing it every few one-on-ones or every couple of one-on-ones is important, right? We do what's called the concept of quarterly check-ins, right? So every quarter, each engineering leader and each leader at our company is responsible for having a conversation with your employees about how things are going, how they're progressing, providing feedback and talking about their aspirations throughout the year, right? So that's a great opportunity to kind of aggregate and kind of see how trends are coming together with regards to their performance, what they're working on, how they're doing and have kind of larger conversations. I think it's also important to be able to meet people where they're at with, with regards to feedback. Some people like getting it verbally, some people like getting it in writing, right? And I think one of the things Laura talked about quite a bit is, is doing both is important, right? If you provide it in writing, then follow up with them and say, hey, like, you know, do you have any questions about what I wrote? Do you want to talk through it right, at all, right? Some, some people will just say, no, I got it. Thank you very much. Other people will say, hey, like, can I dive in a little bit and get a little bit more clarity on what you wrote there? So finding that balance is really, really important. One other thing that I that really stood out at me when I, I looked at the data, the report for one-on-ones, there were people that were doing it, you know, I would say monthly, quarterly, not doing one-on-ones. Again, that just seems crazy to me, right? Like um, you have to be able to connect one-on-one -on -one with your employees at least bi-weekly. I get it if you have skip levels and, you know, you have managers and managers, you might want to maybe meet with your skip levels monthly or quarterly. I get it. But if you're not meeting with your direct reports, I would say every two weeks for half an hour just to do a check-in, I think you're really missing out on opportunities to build a connection with them and, and helping support them and growing them. Thank you so much. I could not have said it better and I so 100% agree with you. It is crazy. So if you are not using one-on-one -on -one meetings, go and read about one-on-ones and uh, there are a bunch of great resources out there. I can also recommend the Level Up Engineering podcast. And as you said, Lara Hogan is also really great. Oh my God, I so much agree with you. Awesome. We have gone through a huge amount of data and uh, thank you for sharing such great tips with our listeners. Is there anything else that you would like to add and we haven't touched on? 
just like to say thanks for putting this report together. I think we don't do enough of this in our industry is looking at some of this data together across organization and understanding trends. We do it quite often within our organizations, um, but looking at it across the organizations is super, super important, right? So I hope engineering leaders and engineers out there really benefit from this and get an opportunity to learn from it, right? So thanks again for putting it together. Thank you so much for, for going over it with me. Again, I very much enjoyed our conversation and this was really fun. Serious listeners and watchers, if you haven't, the link is in the description. You can download the beautiful PDF and uh, look at the data that we have gathered. You can get resources. As uh, Dylan mentioned, you can also get um, podcast episode recommendations through through the the report. So it's packed with really useful data, I think. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Please tell us where we can follow your work. Sure. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about me, uh, I have a website. It's uh, dylanhansen.ca. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at dillyh, D-I-L-L-Y-H. Um, and if you want to learn about Salesforce engineering, uh, you can head over to engineering at salesforce.com. Awesomeness. Be sure to do that, everyone. I thank you for your attention today and for going through this amazing report with us. I had a lot of fun and I am Carolina Thoth. This is the Level Up Engineering Podcast. And today my great guest was Dylan Hansen, who is Senior Director of Engineering Enablement and Engagement at Salesforce. Thank you for joining us and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.